Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. I am Katie Morton, your host and licensed marriage and family therapist, and I am joined today by an amazing guest, by Jessica Harp, who is the clinical operations manager at APN Lodge, and I want to thank APN Lodge for sponsoring this podcast. All Points North Lodge is a behavioral health company that offers addiction treatment, mental health, and trauma therapy at a stunning Colorado Mountain campus and online. Now back to Jessica. Jessica Harp joins All Points North Lodge as her role as a clinical operations manager. She is passionate about employing empirically proven treatment and innovation to aid patients in identifying core belief systems that are affecting their ability to function in relationships, professions, and being a meaningful member of society. Since 2013, she's been serving clients in a few different clinical settings, such as partial hospitalization, inpatient, and outpatient. Some of her roles have consisted in ensuring all programs were compliant with current laws, rules, and regulations of federal and state licensing agencies, supervising individual and group counseling, and overall providing high-quality care to all clients. The most rewarding moment of her career has been providing awareness and education on moral injury, which we'll talk about today. She is confident that she is able to provide and support or to provide support and guidance in clinical operations while aiding in the cultivation of an environment that clients and clinicians thrive in and reach their optimum wellness. Thank you again to APN Lodge for sponsoring this podcast. Let's get into it. Thank you, Jessica, for spending time with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Did I leave anything out? Is there anything else we feel like they should know about no, you? Um, my passion very much has become all around military and first responders. And so, of course, moral injury is something that I've spoke about nationally at um, different military installations and first responders conferences. So I'm excited to be able to share it with you and, and everyone kind of chiming in because it's an important area for people to better understand. No, I, I totally agree. And I'm just curious, is there any personal connection to the military or first responders? Or, so, um, where'd that come from? Historically, my family, uh, my, my great uncles and people uh, even further back were Marines. And so I've seen the after effects and the generational changes that come from a military family. I also was very, very lucky to be a director at an assisted living for neurologically impaired elderly for a while. And I saw the wow. long-term effects of people experiencing dementia and PTSD. And what no one knew at that time was moral injury and how that then affected their ability to spend their last days in comfort and in kindness and, and be able to communicate their needs. So giving the world a, a open platform and giving moral injury a voice 
is incredibly important to me. I couldn't agree more. And I grew up, um, if you don't know, I'm from Washington State originally, mm -hmm. and we have a huge army base next to where I grew up. So I'd have a ton of friends and family who have been in the armed forces. And yeah. uh, we just had Veterans Day not too long ago. And I really think it's important that we honor them and offer them resources, especially when it comes to PTSD and the long-term effects of being in a war zone and going to oh, war. Absolutely. You bring up Veterans Day, and I did a wealth of education around Veterans Day. And, and what some people don't know is the Marine birthday is the day before. And so... Oh, I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. So for many of the people that put their lives at risk and served our country for us, those are two very difficult days. Those days and 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the way we celebrate those things is not always the healthiest and most beneficial way to say thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so the day of uh, Veterans Day, I educated my staff on giving people a little bit more birth, give them some space, allow them, you know, extra individual treatment or, or even a quiet moment to themselves. Because while we're saying thank you, in the back of their mind, they may be reminded very, very clearly of what they had to do to keep us safe. And so that can be very triggering. Yeah. Of course, it's like a, a yearly trigger, right? A yearly reminder. Well, that, and also 4th of July, if you think about it, many people have strong responses to loud noises, to flashing yes, lights. Yes, and the fireworks. Yeah, and, and crowds. Yeah. So when you think about the way we celebrate that, you know, it's, it's not really appropriate. So one of the things I was talking to my team about is, you know, at the assisted living, what we would do is I'd bring in a big band and right before the fireworks would start, we would shut down all the curtains, make sure they couldn't see outside and bring in the music so that they wouldn't be negatively affected while also honoring and celebrating them. Yeah, that's, I, I didn't even think about that, but that's an obvious one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that 4th of July is triggering for a lot of my patients with PTSD. So why would right. our, our veterans be any different? Yeah. Wonderful. Well, and I don't want to forget to mention and thank um, All Points North Lodge for sponsoring this podcast. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for supporting what I do and for being a part of this. And I do want to jump right into, because I don't think a lot of people understand what, what we mean when we say um, that there's like moral injury. Mm -hmm. Could you define that for anybody who's maybe like, oh, what does that mean or hasn't heard that sure. term before? So typically moral injury has been treated as primary PTSD. And most of us know what PTSD is. You know, it's a, it's a fear response to a specific or a series of events. And then, you know, the person experiencing it tries to avoid those events, thus cutting them off from a lot mm -hmm. of opportunities. It is fear-based, though. So much of the treatment yes. around PTSD is fear-based. What I was finding in my work with military and first responders is when people would tell me their experiences, they weren't talking about fear. They were talking about shame. Moral injury is when you feel a sense of shame, and that is the reason why you're avoiding the situation, and it comes down to mm -hmm. value systems. When a person is in the military, most likely they're in the military because they have a strong heart. 
They want to protect. They want to provide safety and security. Those values for our community, our families are incredibly important. But to do that many, many times, they go overseas, they're in conflicts, and the actions that they're made or expected to engage in violate those morals and values. And so they're placed in a position where do I follow my personal morals and values or do I follow my professional expectations? And that is when you have a moral injurious event. Regardless, there's no such thing as an easy or a right answer. So if you violate your personal value and follow your professional value, then the shame lies in what kind of person am I that I could violate something Mm -hmm. so personal and deep to me. But if they follow their personal value and they don't do their professional expectation, they may be putting their, you know, their soldiers or or their career, their career, but they could also be creating an unsafe environment because they are able to participate in the part that they were expected to. There's Mm. no good answer and there's no information and education on it when they come back. So in my work, what I saw is people coming in and they were doing PTSD specific work. So it was fear driven. And now you take this person who is already experiencing a heightened sense of shame, the idea that there is something fundamentally wrong with them. And they look at their peers around them and their peers are experiencing PTSD truly from a fear space. And what happens is this person that's engulfed in shame is now shameful because there must be something fundamentally wrong with me because it's working for them and it's not working for me. And because of that, you have increased chance or increased activity around suicidal ideation, um, personal self-violence, self-harm, addiction, and the list goes on. And so that's why yeah. I became passionate about informing people about moral injury, because what it is, is just taking that extra time to work with your client and identify, are we coming from a fear space? Are we coming from a shame space? And let's make sure we're addressing all of it. Yeah, because I, I think in my experience, and I'm not a trauma specialist, and, and also thank you for taking the time to explain that, because I think it's one of those terms that we don't we don't often define or talk about enough. And in my experience, in my practice, I I find that it's usually both. Mm-hmm. It's usually fear and shame. Um, I don't work specifically with the military, with milita- military personnel, but I do know that a lot of people who were abused, let's mm-hmm. say, can find themselves engaging in abusive behavior within like let's say you were a child and you were abused and this isn't the only scenario but we can find ourselves either being coerced or manipulated into engaging in behavior Mm -hmm. either with our abuser or with another child or something like that and there can be a lot of shame around that Mm -hmm. or i've even had um you know patients who were coerced into taking drugs or alcohol and doing things that they wouldn't have done and i think you know, if we kind of try to apply it to more than just the military, unfortunately, the 
the options of which, with which this can affect us are endless. I agree. Uh, one of the things that I've been working on is applying the work that I do with moral injury with several populations. I think people of sexual assault um, and other professions specifically, I've worked with teachers, something that people don't realize because it's not on our forefront. We're not the ones doing it, but our teachers in the last couple of years have experienced heightened moral injury because they're now in the home through Zoom. So there used to be oh, yeah. a separation. There might be a child that comes in unbathed or without lunch money or lunch or, or whatever may have you, but there was a level of separation. And now the teachers mm-hmm. are in the home. They see yeah. the environment, they hear the environment. It's, it's like being there. And so for them, once again, they have a moral obligation. Teachers choose to be teachers. They love to educate and, and want to bring our people up, you know, and then they have this. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It's It really does expand to everywhere. And you're right. It generally is both. The problem with it is, is I don't know how much shame is being addressed. And without that piece we're really harming the client. I, I agree because it, it's, I don't even know what the word I want to use, but it's almost like that fracture yep. in our sense of self. Mm-hmm. If we don't heal that, we're only going to act out of that. And for anybody listening, it's like, that's like a therapist term, Katie. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. When I say act out of something, it's like, because we have that fractured sense of self where we think something's innately wrong with me. Remember, shame isn't something's wrong. It's something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm broken in some way. I've done something to cause this. It's that, that internal ick. Mm-hmm. And if we act out of that feeling about ourselves, we're not going to be able to form healthy relationships. We're not going to be able to see things for how they really are or even appreciate ourselves and what, what we're trying to do to get better, right? There's so much that's going to be missing. And then we'll, we can end up, as I'm sh- many of you have told me over the years, is we can end up like perpetuating or recreating these unhealthy situations for ourselves because we're, again, acting out of that, that shame-based belief. And that healing is, is difficult, but 100% possible. It is. And it's one of, when you said one of the proudest things that I've ever had is working with my military it's really true seeing the way a person changes when the shame's lifted. They're truly a different mm-hmm. person. They stand different. They speak different. You know, you see them engage in interpersonal communication and, and peer work so much differently. And, and I think when we break it down to, okay, yes, it's shame. Yes, it's fear. But of what? You know, yeah. it it really is getting past the barriers of the tricky thing with shame is they're shameful. So they don't want to tell you the thing mm-hmm. that is affecting yeah. them because as a person experiencing fear and shame, you want people to accept you. And so sharing that with your therapist or with your peers is the most frightening thing anyone could ask them to do. And that's why I say our clients, whether it's military or, or, you know, sexual assault, any, anyone that comes into treatment, 
I truly honestly believe we have an opportunity to treat the strongest and the smartest people in the world because oh, 100%. the strength it takes to expose that level of shame and fear is incredible. And having, yeah, I mean, yeah, having the knowledge oh no, I was just, to get treatment, to seek it, to say, I am worthy of this time. It's amazing. It really is. I agree. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, we all have things we're ashamed of. I always, when people have a tough time understanding what does it mean to be shame filled or, mm-hmm. or why is it so hard to talk about it? It's like, think of the most embarrassing, painful, the thing you're most ashamed of. We've all done things we're ashamed of. Go back to that time and imagine talking about that openly mm-hmm. with someone else. It, it's like digging into that deep, dark, icky part of ourselves and saying like, well, here it is. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be, it's, it's super difficult. It can be really painful. It can be, it can also be really freeing mm-hmm. because I think the thing that most of us, it's hard to believe. And even as I'm going to say this, I know you guys listening and watching aren't going to believe me, but once we've shown someone the, the icky, they're still going to care about us. Our therapist is still going to listen. They're still going to show up for us. We think this horrible thing's going to happen and the world's going to explode and no one's ever going to love us again or care about us again. But I think that validation and that compassion around the fact that we all have things we're ashamed of, we all have things we've done that we wish we didn't. And the fact that we can still go on and someone will still be there is like is healing on a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, part of the important work that you do. And I, it's it's wonderful that, that you've taken the time to to help such a vulnerable population. Uh, you're welcome. Even though they probably hate that I call them vulnerable. Yeah, yes. you'll be in trouble. <laughs> I no, know. <laughs> actually, I totally. tell people all the time, there is nothing stronger than vulnerability. It truly, you know, anyone can hide. Anybody mm-hmm. can hide. Anyone yeah. can pretend everything is fine. It takes strength and and, and a strong self-value to say, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to share this and I'm going to take that chance. Just exactly what you were just talking about. I'm, they might not like me. They may not want to work with me anymore. Mm-hmm. They may not look at me the same. But what people, and and for everyone listening, what I hope you hear is it creates respect. It creates mm-hmm. so much trust and beauty. It is how you show your best self, is to show your full self. Yeah. And so... trust now don't trust everybody like (laughs) you don't have to go out and tell everybody (laughs) under the sun everything because that that is trauma dumping and and something Mm -hmm. else that I work with but finding your people finding a person whether it's a therapist or a spouse or a sibling or or a lifelong friend or a new friend finding that person that you can trust and engage with in a way that is freeing for you and them, that in itself is huge and life-changing. Yeah. Agreed. And that, even that description shows us how intertwined with fear it is because like the fear that people won't look at us Mm -hmm. the same, the fear that they won't be there for us. You can see how shame and fear are like, you know, best friends and can wreak havoc. Mm -hmm. I, I, if you don't mind talking a little bit about the trauma dumping, sure. because I have viewers on both sides of the spectrum, some that are super fearful, don't want to share with anybody, mm-hmm. 
really have a tough time opening up. And then those of us, and I'm more on this side where it's like verbal diarrhea. Like I will just like, when I start with a new therapist, I'm like, like everything, I have no difficulty. So explain why that happens and what that's. So um, with trauma dumping, what's actually happening is unfortunately it generally doesn't happen with a therapist when it happens with a therapist that's pretty acceptable right like when I get a new client I know it's going to be one way or another they're going to sit there and look at me like this the the whole hour and be like (laughs) are you reading my mind um and and I'm not none of us can um or it's the (laughs) I ask them so tell me a little about yourself and yeah and there's there's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nothing. I don't get a word. <laughs> I'm trying to take notes as fast as possible. Um, but trauma dumping is sometimes very damaging when it comes to doing it with your peers. An area that I've been mm-hmm. working with trauma dumping on is COVID. We are in a mm-hmm. combined trauma right now as a therapist, yeah. as You know, anyone that's ever seen a therapist, we all know, don't isolate, go out there, live your world, be in your community, be in the moment, be mindful. And then we were all told to isolate for a couple of years. And I get it. I know. I get it. But at the same time, the increase of addiction, domestic violence, depression, I've seen spikes in psychosis and every other form of mental illness because there were people that could function well given the fact that they didn't even realize they were using skills, but they were. Yeah, but they had all these supports, right? right? Even personally, I can talk about like how I used to go to yoga and go out to dinner with my friends and all the stuff that would help support me. And then all that was taken away. And AA meetings and NA meetings weren't in person. And for a while they didn't didn't exist. exist. And relapse rates were high Mm -hmm. and I mean, I mean, I've seen increase in mania oh, yeah. in some of my patients and all sorts of things. I mean, just, I feel like I agree with you. I understand why we did it, but I also was very upset I, about it because I'm like the mental health ramifications oh. are being overlooked and here. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And it, it kind of pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's heartbreaking yeah. because I, I saw what we not rapid readmit, but you, when a person comes back mm-hmm. into treatment, Um, I've never seen so many people that, you know, needed that additional care and had to go to that length to receive it. They weren't able to use this. That's a disappointing thing. Yeah. And then they feel like everything was removed. Mm -hmm. Right. But then they think they Mm -hmm. failed and they did not fail. Yeah. It was all the tools that they developed and, and their therapy team helped them develop were no longer available. And so, yeah, it's like, take your whole bucket of coping skills, even working yeah. on and get rid of 80% mm-hmm. of them. Like, but you know what you can do? You can limited. have alcohol delivered to your house. Oh yeah. And you mm-hmm. could get it. You could pick it up and take it out from a uh-huh. restaurant. They open those gates real yeah. easily, but not and, AA meetings and that's, outside. And that was my major <gasps> issue with the entire process. And what has happened is a response in trauma dumping. So, so, we're doing it. We're talking about how, you know, it affects everyone and, and everyone's talking about it. But when it becomes an unhealthy kind of spew of 
trauma and, and, you know, dissatisfaction and you're doing this, engaging with your peers and it's a shared trauma, the person that you're sharing it with may have a very strong reaction, a negative strong reaction to the way the, the trauma dumping is being presented. And so gotcha. what that does is it affects both sides. The person that dumped mm. now no longer has this person that they dumped on mm -hmm. because they're going to avoid them. And when you're yeah. talking about COVID, that's the trauma in itself, one of many. Mm -hmm. So not yeah. only are you not effectively communicating to where you're receiving support, but also giving support, but now it's driving a wedge in communication between what supports you do have. And the person yeah. that wow. now avoids that person also is less likely to try to access support in fear that someone will have that response that to they'll them. look the same uh -huh. way. It is a Yeah, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we, yeah, totally get caught up in it. I'm a huge fan of Sex and the City. And that reminds me of this episode where Carrie, and this is not the, it's not really a trauma, but I guess you could call it trauma. Her breakup with Aiden could have been traumatic sure. for her. Um, she dumps onto Burger all of the stuff. She's like, just started, if anybody doesn't follow the show, she started dating this guy, Burger. Um, but beforehand, she was like flirting with him. And she like dumped all the, that she was feeling yeah. like they were sitting outside in the Hamptons. She was like, oh, my God, and I don't think I'm ready to do this again. And then we moved in and we broke up. We got engaged. And she's like going through the trauma. And then she goes back to talk to her friends. And she's like, I was emotionally slutty. Mm. And her friends are like, that's not like you. And she's like, I know. I don't know what was happening. I was just and that's kind of what it is when we we overshare mm -hmm. because frankly, we're too full. Yeah. Right. I always think that's an, like a symptom of I'm just too full of, of everything, emotion, trauma, overwhelm. I don't have anywhere else to put this. Yeah. Blah, right. Um, and it's almost it's almost not conscious oh, either. Yeah. It's almost like we just do it out of necessity. And then there's usually immediate remorse. Shame. <laughs> like, oh, I overshared. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. Then we compound that shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really complicated and it, it is difficult. And we have a, a bunch of good questions if you're yes, fine moving into please. those. Is there anything that we didn't touch on? Because I want to give you time to, you have such amazing expertise. Oh, well, I want to make sure I give you time no, to discuss it. Is there? I would love to hear what people would like answers to. That's, that's the best part of all of this is okay. education. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So, okay, so our first question, and we have a couple follow-ups. So we'll get through the, the way that I do this, okay. just so you know, is I ask the main question and then people can comment below them and be like, me too, but also, and they'll add something nice. on. So we'll, we'll answer the first meat of the question and then we'll get into the comments cool. after that. So the first question says, what is the goal, either short-term or long-term, when trying to address shame, guilt, and disgust in areas of trauma? The battle I face between showing self-compassion and keeping self-hatred in a good place, I found that wording very yeah. interesting, is exhausting when doing the work, mm -hmm. okay? So self-compassion, self-hatred, how do we balance those when we're doing the work? Okay. The shame doesn't seem to budge and the pressure to remind myself is so intense. I don't know why I bother addressing it. Mm. Is it better to just let the shameful sleeping dogs lie mm. rather than try to cope with challenging them? Will the disgust feeling ever go away? 
says, so grateful for you, Katie, for continuing to voice, to give a voice to these conversations. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Jessica, for having these conversations. I thought this was a great way to open it up because it's kind of like, what is the goal, like short term Mm -hmm. and long term when we try to address it? How do we dive in Mm -hmm. and manage all that comes up? I know it's a very low. There's a lot to this. So I'm going to get comfortable now. No. Um, yes. I was like, let's get into this. (laughs) Really the short-term goal when we're working on shame is identifying where the shame comes from. And there's a lot of ways of doing this. Um, I advise everyone listening, uh, look into schema, uh, schemas, a way that therapy and treatment teams, we look at how you see the world why you see it that way and what experiences did you have in your youth that kind of creates your perspective. And so shame often and disgust and, and, and self-hatred often is rooted in the way that we learn to talk to ourselves, to talk to others, to respond to situations, whether we have built resiliency or not as a a young person and it's moved on into your adulthood. So the the first and probably the most important short-term goal is identifying where that shame comes from. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. people say, oh, it's when I did this thing. It's not that thing. The thing is not your shame the way you responded to that situation and the way you view yourself after is shame. And so better understanding yourself and, and the makeup of the way you see the world and you perceive your environment is number one. So there's your short term. Yep. Love Long term. It's going to take time. It yeah. is. It's a lot to unravel, it right? Is. We're unpacking. So yeah, you, you gotta once you figure out. Okay, well, you know, I didn't realize that there was a theme in 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 my family environment that this this and this make you evil or bad or or unworthy, and it it may not be showing up specifically that way. It may not be someone said it just to you but it's the actions and the behaviors and the, and the culture of the family. And so once you identify that unlearning something that is fundamentally a part of the way you live Mm -hmm. and breathe in your world is incredibly hard. I tell people, you know, try stepping with the other foot first once you'll almost trip. You know, yeah, it is, it is yeah. hard and there's going to be days where it's not going to feel like you're making any progress and, and you do have down days and you, you spend all day in bed. Like I've done all this work and my therapist wastes their time on me and my friends and family waste their time on me and, and you get in that funk, but then you got to get back up and you got to say, no, 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 no. That's my old way of thinking. So mm-hmm. one of the fun things that I will do, um, it doesn't sound fun, but I promise it is, um, <laughs> is I will have people after they do a schema assessment and they identify why they feel the way they do, I have them develop actual statements around that that serve as positive affirmations in their voice, their tone, um, that speaks directly to it. 
instead of. Could you give an example? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you're a person who experiences a high level of um, shame, um, abuse, let's just say abuse. And so your schema okay. system says for one reason or another, it's okay for people to abuse you because you lack worth. Oh, yep. Very, very common. common. Mm-hmm. So I would task that person to utilize some of their strengths to then create a positive affirmation. So you're beating it two ways. You're using a strength and you're going to remind yourself that just because it's the way you think doesn't mean it's a fact. And so if you're a person yep. that believes thoughts are not right. So we, what we do is I would take that person. I was like, I can't write it for you. I need it to be, I need it to be authentic to you. I need it to be in your voice. If there's 15 cuss words, if it's yelling, mm-hmm. if it's whispering, it's gotta be you. And so for someone who's experienced abuse, it would be something of the nature of, I am of worth and no one has a right to harm me. Mm-hmm. And then I will set up trigger points. Every time you turn on a light, every time you walk through a doorway, every time someone mm-hmm. says of, like just something mm-hmm. to where every, it becomes consistent and it almost becomes a game. And we've done this when I was um, working with the military inpatient. We did this. Only we did it out loud. And everybody knew everyone's triggers. So mm-hmm. they would hold them each other accountable. They'd be like, I'm sorry, did you just walk through that door? What was it? I didn't hear you. What was what was your mm-hmm. affirmation? Oh. And it it became a game, but it also it was supportive and kind and it got people used to saying and doing nice things for themselves. And so, yeah, because we get caught in such a a rut of saying negative things. Oh, yeah. It's so easy to get back into that old way of thinking and talking to ourselves. And we like we shit talk ourselves real bad. No one does it better. We would we would never let anybody else. I know we'd never let anybody talk to us that way Uh except for us. (laughs) And we definitely wouldn't let someone talk to someone we loved that way. Oh, yeah. Never. Never. It's so interesting. So it's. To me, what's really, really interesting about negative self-talk is it's a product of our culture. It really is. I mean, if you yeah. you learn at a very young age, if you want attention, you know, it, you're going to get attention from screaming fire, not let's go play mm-hmm. a game. You're going to, you know, yeah. and if in our culture, and I'll say specifically even for women, if you speak highly of yourself, you're conceited. Oh, you're conceited. You're uh-huh. conceited. Well, you think yeah. very high of you, huh? Like, and and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the way we have created this culture of self-talk. And yeah. unfortunately, you can't win either way. It's kind of like moral injury. There's no winning. So with social media and things like that, if you go on there and you're like, I'm amazing, I'm great. Everyone's like, wow, conceited. But if you go on there and say, I'm having a horrible day, sometimes I really just... Oh, then support, support. Asking for support. No, not just that, but you'll get support, but you'll also get, Mm -hmm. wow, attention seeking. 
True. So true. communication has a double bind. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so. Yeah. It's we don't have a system. We don't teach communication in a a way that assists, especially the people coming up in the social media podcast worlds. Oh, totally. You know, it's we have to teach people to start with talking kindly to themselves, and then. Mm-hmm provide that kindness to others when speaking. 100%. And I, I believe that we should have a, a class in school from a young age about emotional intelligence mm-hmm. that just like helps us understand how we're feeling and to clearly communicate oh, it. Like use our words, not actions, use your words. What's so going I've on? I've been an advocate of um, a mental health class starting in kindergarten since the beginning. Yes. We could be doing our our youth a huge service if we were doing emotional regulation interpersonal communication if we were doing mindfulness cognitive functioning we have health class i know why don't we have mental health class it's so crazy the reduction in bullying and self-harm and you know suicidal ideation in youth i think is worth it our our kids are worth it I, i I couldn't agree more. And we have a lot of teachers in my audience that are trying to like pick up the slack for oh. that. And they'll ask me like, well, how do I manage? I have this one kid who's doing this. And it's, it's impossible like, for them to do it you all. You need more support. Yeah. <laughs> you have like 30 kids. It's just, you know, it is impossible. It's like putting another thing on top of also teaching them, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is they're teaching, science, math, yeah. English, you name it. Um, I agree with that 100%. Well, and that's the moral injury so back to our, piece. Oh, go ahead. But go ahead. that's the moral injury piece yeah. for teachers. They have an expectation yeah, just to they help. teach the subjects, but they also have a, a personal value to support the child. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's hard. You know, it's hard to have boundaries around stuff like that because you want to mm-hmm. do it all. Yeah. Uh, us therapists aren't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. It's, it's so true. It's so funny. Um, Cause I am always talking to my audience about the importance yeah. of boundaries and like people pleasing. And, and I'm like, I'm no better. Oh. Like, don't think uh-uh. just cause I know better. I do better. No, I can preach it all day. Oh, we have our own. <laughs> oh, oh, to- I know exactly how to talk yeah. about it, but I understand how hard it is exactly. to do in practice because when you're a, when you want to be a caretaker or caregiver, I think of us, I think of therapists as caregivers. Yeah. Um, we usually really suck at our own self care <laughs> and we also really, really struggle to place boundaries. Yep. Our well-being and the well-being. I understand how important it is. It's just hard because we want to help. Okay. You know, um, yeah. my therapist is always like, is your is your need to help hindering or is it actually helping? And Ooh, sometimes I'm like, therapist. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I know she's she's good. Yeah. So okay, back to our question because I could sure. talk I could talk to you all day. Yeah. Um, just want to make sure we answered all of her questions. So the goal we did short term, long term. And then the one question I want us just to call it out because I know the person who asked this question will think that she got away with it and that she and I'm telling her she didn't. Mm-hmm. She said, should we let the shameful sleeping dogs lie when we try to cope other than challenging them? So let the shame be. No. And I say, absolutely. No. Not. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. The fact that you would even ask, you know, mm-hmm. It's hard, it's so, right? It shows the difficulty with getting in there and allowing it to well, exist. Let's think right? about to, to opening it up and acknowledging, you it. know, shame in itself mm-hmm. compounds 
but also, you know, we get comfortable with our shame. Oh, totally. It's it's a blanket. And sometimes in an ugly world, it feels like a big, warm, soft blanket. You know, it's like, okay, well, I don't like me and people shouldn't like me. So I'm just going to hide, hide, hide. And that's okay because no one's going to care and no one's going to notice. And that's not true. Yeah. Um, and that's that vulnerability piece. But we don't let sleeping dogs lie. And I don't care how big the dog is. We're waking <laughs> it up. And, and the reason yeah. why is because every single second that we ignore the shame, you are losing that time in your life to where you get to wake up in the morning and realize the benefit that you provide the world by being in it. Yeah. And I feel like if the more we ignore it, the bigger the oh, shape yeah. gets. Gross. It's like the bigger the dog oh, yeah. gets, right? It might start off as a chihuahua and then we wake up in 10 years and it's a uh-huh. great Dane. So, you know, we it's like we don't want to let it lie. We want to address it, even though it's uncomfortable. Mm. I want to acknowledge it's it, it sucks. Oh. It, we hate it. I tell people all the time, but, if therapy's comfortable, we ain't doing it right. <laughs> I know, right? That means you're not doing right. therapy. I'm, like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm going to need you to yeah. stretch your boundaries a little bit. And that's, that's hard. Totally. That's the scary part is yeah. it's one thing to share with friends and family. But when you go and sit with a clinician, that's going to be like, mm, nice try. A little bit yeah. further. And it gets uncomfortable. But in itself, that's free. Uh, agreed. It, that's that's where the mm-hmm. healing is. That's you know where we start to feel better and come to discover maybe a part of ourselves we thought yep. we'd forgotten. Yeah. You know, that's just the beauty of therapy. And the last question she has is: Will the disgust feeling ever go away? Yes, but it can creep back. Yeah, it's it's like anything. I try to. I don't know if you agree with this thought process, but my thought process about honestly anything that we deal with. Like I'm, I'm a recovering people pleaser, really bad with boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I can keep that all in check when I'm taking care of Mm -hmm. myself, when I'm, I'm doing the things I need to do, when I'm giving myself time to process Mm -hmm. and communicate, I keep that in check, but throw me into a situation where there's high stress. I I have little time to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots being asked of me. I will act out in ways I'll go right back to it, you know, and I can feel that that ever familiar pull. And I think that's the same for anything is like, we'll have to manage it and it'll get easier and easier to have that disgust kind of come up and be like, oh, no, mm-hmm. you're not. I don't need you here. You're not helpful. I know where you come right. from, you know? Um, so we just have to, it's like, it's, it's like physical health, right? If we don't take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. we'll catch a cold. And in mental illness, it, it reflects itself in some of those unhealthy behaviors like shame filled, mm-hmm. you know, self-talk, disgust, things yeah. like that. And also understanding, you know, once you have done the work, when that disgust comes back, it's like you said, mm-hmm. I don't need you. I, I know you're not real. Yeah. But it is very important to plan ahead for those stressful times because you're right. Yes. We all know <laughs> that there are times where these things come flooding up, no matter how much work you've done. And we're embarking on it right now the holidays are stressful and a lot of these shame and fear and and disgust based things started when we were little and we're gonna throw ourselves back into it so you know always having a game plan planning ahead Mm -hmm. like 
no, I'm not going to stay at the family's house. I'm going to get a hotel and I'm going to let them know that I'm leaving at a certain time so that I can do my sleep hygiene so that I can get a full night's sleep. Look at those healthy boundaries. I know. Mm-hmm. Love those healthy boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's all about preparation. And so reducing yeah. the opportunity for the disgust to sneak back up, um, but also being prepared for it too. And, and what do you do in those moments? Yeah. Yeah. What are our emergency go-tos? Mm-hmm. That's what I always tell people. Like you can go to the bathroom for like 10 yeah. minutes, <sighs> you know, you can lock the door, take yeah. a minute, do your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a friend check in on you and you can say, Oh, I have to mm-hmm. go. You know, there are ways that we can leave. We can prepare pr- or protect really. Mm-hmm. Um, because by engaging back with maybe family that wants to pull us back into that old mm-hmm. pattern, that old dance that we haven't wanted to do in a while. Right. But we'll, we'll hear the music. And, we'll, and it's we'll be, comfortable. You'll feel the urge to get back in it. It's the groove yep, we learned. We know those steps in. so well. Yep, one hundred percent. And it's like that vulnerability to wanting to do that is going to be high, and so we have to add in some of those protective ahead of time layers so that we we have our wits about us. And and also, I want people to know if you do slip back into that old dance, you end up doing something that you wouldn't. It's, it's okay. okay. Not all is lost. We all have you know Every we go one. two steps forward, one step back but we're still making progress. Okay. Now there were follow-ups on this question. There was a comment and they agreed with the person who asked the initial question. They said, this is my biggest struggle as well. Trying to find self-compassion for myself at times feels impossible. And I have an internal struggle all the time of why can't you just push past it? What happened in the past is in the past. Mm -hmm. So why can't it be left in the past? I've read about unresolved trauma and how it affects us today. So I do see the importance of it but still can't help but get frustrated with why it can't be left in the past. And then another comment said, yes, this. I feel like I'm doing okay with the self-compassion and then something happens and I seem to forget how. The absolute horror of anyone finding out what I quote unquote participated in or allowed to happen to me as a child. Logically, I know it was abuse and I didn't allow anything, but it's paralyzing. Yet sometimes I want to scream details of it to those in my family who think it wasn't that big of a deal. And I know there's not really a question in these comments, but I wanted to give yeah. space to that those conversations because it's kind of what we've talked about, that it can creep back up. It's hard to be com- to show yourself compassion when you're kind of yeah. in it. And I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like that's why I always encourage people to get into group yes. therapy. Because I, I find that, that builds compassion because we hear a very similar story from someone else and we're able to offer them understanding mm-hmm. and compassion. And as a therapist that worked for many years in treatment centers, I used to bring it up with my, you know, my patients one-on-one later. I'd say, you know, it was interesting how comforting you were to, you know, this yeah. person. Is there any way we could offer a little bit of that to ourselves? Yeah. You know, you know, I, that's one of the things, you know, not, well, the view doesn't hurt, but it's one of the things that I, I mean, call it I know, yeah. being on top of a mountain, never hurt anybody. Um, but that's one of the things I love about the way we do things at APN, because there is the group, there's group in the morning, there's group in the afternoon, there's individuals and all of that. And if you can't get into program or maybe you don't feel like you're at that level of need, there is a lot of support out there. There's, you know, NAMI, and if you're struggling with addiction, you have, you know, AA, NA, all of these things. Um, But for you just personally, sometimes you just have to ask yourself, what would the people that love you say? 
It's almost mm-hmm. the group dynamic because it's easier for us to say, oh, well, you know, my sister would say, I'm blowing it out of proportion because I'm stronger than I than I think I am and, and I just got to push through and, and, you know, she compliment me or whatever, or kick me in the butt and get me moving. Whatever the case may be, you can tap in to the way your loved ones would respond, your friends. Um, also, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen a client do and talk about vulnerability, sent out a group text just saying, I am really struggling with this, just to his friends, you know, people he trusted. Uh-huh. Um, a group text, uh-huh. <laughs> I can't, he's like, I'm not looking for attention, but I, I can't see value in me right now. So coolest thing ever, all his friends sent these beautiful passages. He put them on pieces of paper, made like a dream board, took a picture of it. So it was in his phone all the time. I love it. I love it. How resourceful. I know what he thought of himself. It's like, yay. You know, but there's a a ton of different ways, you know, in his weaker moments, he could just blow it up and find one. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and yeah. read that and kind of sit with it and, and move on. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really about yeah. building, you know, supports. What can you have access to in that moment? And there is no shame in how long it takes you to process trauma. There's no timeline. Yep. There's Agreed. no expectation. Um, I'm a huge fan of EMDR. I'm a huge fan of talk therapy, mm-hmm. group therapy. If you're medication resistant, TMS, there's so many mm-hmm. areas that you can receive help in. There's no perfect formula for one person or for everybody. So yeah. take your time, be kind, process it in a way that works for you, not the way it worked for your neighbor. Agreed. Agreed. We can't compare ourselves to anybody else. And there's also a great resource if anybody's looking for group therapy. It's mm-hmm. free. It's online. It's called Hope for Recovery. It's the number four, Hope for Recovery. Um, they have a ton of trauma groups and things like that. Very specific, not addiction based, but they definitely have uh, more of the trauma, shame, uh, grief type of groups. That's available. wonderful. And they keep growing. Yeah, because therapists donate their time, and it's just a really great organization. So oh, you shouldn't have told if you're looking me that. for some support, I'm probably gonna. <laughs> I, can't I know. Help it. I I did I did a I did two hours, and then I was like, I'm gonna do that qu- like every few months. That's it, you know. Boundaries. Kind of boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. But they'll probably love to have you on to talk about moral, yeah. you know, moral wounds and that injury. Okay, let's move on to question okay. number two. And we have a total, for anybody listening, we have a total of five. Okay, so question number two says, Hi, Katie and Jessica. I'm really struggling to bring up my trauma in therapy. I only tend to talk about it with certain major trig- oh, when certain major triggers occur in my day-to-day life. Whenever I do talk about it, I feel awful for days and can't stop my thoughts from going to the trauma. On top of that, I feel so much shame that I regret talking about it. Oh, it's like we've said it and now we can't take it back. And I don't want to talk about it again. On the other hand, I know that it's important to talk about it, and I do trust my therapist enough to talk about it. Do you have any advice on how to deal with this avoidance behavior and how to deal with feeling trapped in my shame? 
So I think it goes back to being cautious and careful of where you are in your Mm -hmm. stage of treatment. Um, I think often what happens is a person will share it once and, and feel a bit of relief, more fear mm-hmm. and, and maybe more shame, yeah. but a bit of relief and they want to maximize the relief side. So then we trauma dump mm-hmm. or, you know, we, you know, be emotionally slutty, as your person, uh-huh. you know, and dump, dump it, it all. Right. <laughs> I'm already talking about this. Might as well maximize the the return. What it's really doing is, and and I say this in all kindness, but our brains want to be right. So if our brain believes that there's something wrong with us and we should be shameful and something was our fault, even though every bit of evidence in the world shows that you had no control. It's almost like a delusion. Right. Right. We, it's like we won't believe it no matter how many facts we have. It's like we believe that it was we had a role. Right. In this. But we'll engage in what, you know, therapists will call self-fulfilling prophecy. So we will mm-hmm. do things. Our brain will direct us to do things that will give us that result. So if, if you mm-hmm. don't want for people to talk to you and you don't, you know, your brain says, I'm a bad person. This is my fault. People shouldn't like me. And it's absolutely not intentional, but you will go out and you will do things to get that result because the brain wants to be right. Yeah. The brain has to be right. Yeah. And it will create scenarios and situations to get that end result. And so for this person, and thank you for your question, because it's, I think this is valid for a lot of people. Um, many people think they're going to go into therapy and they're going to do one or two sessions and everything's going to be great. Um, I know and magic. Yes. <laughs> we can't remind. I wish, I we wish we could magic. do magic. I know it would be nice. We make things simpler, but, um, it'd be so much easier, would. but what actually happens is exactly what you're experiencing. You make yourself vulnerable and it's, sometimes feels like it's worse before it's better. It's kind of like picking off a scab. And yeah. so, yeah, I, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I like that analogy. And I've, I've described it as like, we had this closet, this one closet in our house. Like if you loved friends back in the day, Monica had mm-hmm. that one closet that was like a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's like, we had that one closet and we've stuffed everything mm-hmm. into it. All our shame, all our guilt, all our trauma, all our, negative self-talk, all, all that stuff. We've just stuffed it in there and we shut the door and then we go to therapy and it's like, you open that door and it's like, like all this stuff flies out. And then we're like, Oh shit. Now I've got this big old mess in my Uh house and my, I like my house clean. And everyone can see And so then we have this like, uh uh-huh. And I can't clean it up fast enough. And I don't like that this mess is out for people to see. Right. And there's all this like remorse and this Mm -hmm. avoidance. And then we're like kind of trying to push them into corners and trying to push it back in the closet. Mm-hmm. And it it's, I think that's what we're, we're seeing. What would you advise? I'm curious what your advice would be for someone that feels like that, like that that's happening. And now I'm like, Oh, shouldn't have done so it. Back I think backtrack. validating it. I, you know, if you're mm-hmm. in that space, it's okay to sit with yourself and say, 
yep, I am very uncomfortable and this kind of sucks and I don't want to be here right now. And I'm going to get through it. And these are the things that yeah. I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to go engage with people that care for me. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go swimming. I'm going to go cuddle my puppy. Um, if you don't have a puppy, I suggest getting a puppy. Um, I know puppies, cats, it's really very helpful. to have an animal that depends um, on you. If you don't have one, go to your local humane society and pet one. Do something nice. For someone yep. else, some, you know, give life to life. And so just know it's going to be uncomfortable and validate it that this is uncomfortable. So I'm doing the work and I deserve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think part of it's like acknowledging the discomfort, calling it out mm -hmm. for what it is. And I, I even encourage you to try to say, you probably won't believe it, but try to say, that's how I know it's working. Right. Because no change comes without some discomfort. Right. Like even think about when you're learning something new, how uncomfortable it is. You start a new job. Everything is like foreign. They have this new system on the computers. And you're like, I don't know how to work this. I remember being a waitress and starting at a new job. POS I was like, systems. oh my God. I, uh, I'm like, I only know Aloha. I'm not sure what this is. Yeah. It, it, like just different computer systems, right? And those first few, honestly, few weeks, you think I'm never going to learn. This is going right. to be terrible. This is so slow. The line is growing and I'm like trying to poke stuff in. But then it becomes so mm -hmm. easy. And that's just life. That's just learning. We're learning a new dance, right? We have to learn the steps. And right now it's really uncomfortable. We're stepping on our toes. We're stepping on other people's toes. We're tripping up, but we'll get, we'll get mm -hmm. there. And I really love the acknowledgement component. I think just saying like, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel X, Y, and Z about it. And I kind of want to hide under a blanket. I'm not going to. And that means it's working. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now there was a comment on this one that says, um, I'm also starting to work through trauma and thought I was doing really well about everything. During the sessions, I don't cry or feel like I want to self-harm or anything like that. The only thing is I feel awkward when I'm just talking about all of it. Mm. Well, after this last session, a few hours later, I felt like my whole body was going into a panic. I even had to call out sick from work because I just couldn't get myself to calm down. I wasn't thinking about anything during session and nothing was happening around me that would make me react and feel the way I was feeling. Is it possible that my body may have been panicking about everything that I was saying, but my mind just didn't have a chance to process it yet? If so, I'm so terrified to keep going and talking in this direction because I don't want to feel that way again. Thanks so much. So body ooh, memories are real. It is. <laughs> it, yeah. And Really what I'm hearing here is, you know, there's a skill that's been developed in not having an emotional response while talking about the trauma. And I'm glad to hear there's no self-harm. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that that was an issue historically. So congratulations. That's a battle in itself. Um, but absolutely continue treatment, but bring that. Bring your response, bring your trauma response to the therapist and say, this is how I'm showing up after I leave. Why is it when I'm with you, I can speak calmly, I'm all. but, but yeah, like yeah. I'm fine. I can talk about it. It's a thing. But when you go home, you're actually letting that guard down and you're probably experiencing what you would be if you weren't using the skill of, I don't have to look like I'm talking about trauma. 
I do not have to cry in front of people. Mm-hmm. And, and it may be, and this is, you know, I, I don't know the whole case, but what you also may be experiencing is oftentimes people with trauma very much want the acceptance of the clinician. And so by mm-hmm. presenting as, look at me, I'm not self-harming, I'm not crying, I'm not doing, this is all working. You're doing a great job. I'm doing a great job. Oh, you should be proud yeah. of me because it, looking for that acceptance. And so when you leave and you're no longer in the presence of the person that you want acceptance from, it all comes out. Yeah, that's it's so true. Yeah. And I, I also would encourage this person to something that has helped me and a lot of my patients is doing full body mm-hmm. shakes, like instigating some of that release. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that we have to do it, you know, during session or, um, you know, but it might be beneficial to do it right before and right yes. after as a way to kind of trigger your nervous system to get rid of some of that stuff that's coming mm-hmm. up for you. And I'm, I'm not it won't it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make us feel 100 percent better, but it can get some of that energy out so that we don't feel so panicked. But, yes, I 100 percent agree with you, Jessica, that it's important for us to to bring it up with our therapist because that reaction is just as important as the talking about it in session as as i've said over and over and jessica even mentioned too is like therapists can't read minds really can't if we could but we can't and so the more you can tell us about your experience before and after session and what's coming up for you and even if you don't think it makes sense just give it to us because we'll do our best to kind of put it in place with other things we're noticing and other things you've told us so that we can best assist you Okay, this is the last follow-up on this question. This one says, how about dealing with personal judgment that comes about because of the shame from the trauma? Because I have my own judgment of myself about what happened and it holds me back from talking about it for fear of the same judgment coming from my therapist. Mm. Even though I know therapy isn't the place for judgment, I just can't wrap my head around how she could not. Yeah, I love this because I understand it. Again, it's that that fear Uh response to the shame if she sees this and knows this she's not going to want to work with me run the other way they're going to judge me Mm -hmm. they're going to think that i'm bad so a lot of this comes from and i and i talk about culture a lot because it it is how we you know develop our beliefs and our moral systems and our values and there is a lot of victim shaming and i think because that is a, a pretty strong um area in our culture, uh, we get used to blaming ourselves. Well, I could have done this. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have walked down that alley. I should have known better. I shouldn't have talked to this person. I should have stayed home and minded my own business. Like whatever the case may be, you know, we are prone to not only allowing other people to blame us, but blaming ourselves before they do it. We're going to beat them to it. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So what I would say around that is what I tell all my clients. I've probably heard worse. <laughs> like, whatever you totally. have to bring, um, we don't judge. And and the reason no. why we went into this field, the reason why people choose to wake up every single day and place themselves with incredibly smart and strong people who are looking for treatment is because we know the world is gray. There, there is no yeah, black and white. True. There is very much 
people and reactions to environments. And there's a lot of shame around being a victim. And then there's also the biological betrayal for sexual assault victims. So um, that for me, when I'm talking to a person, it's always, I, it's not, I'm not going to judge you because I'm not you. I was not there. My job is to help you feel centered and move past whatever has happened. Um, because you deserve that. You deserve that space and that kindness. And so, yeah, I, I get it. And I think that the shame and the fear is what keeps a lot of people out of treatment. And it's, it's really quite heartbreaking because you're just not going to receive it. You're yeah. I, yeah. And if so, I know if and it is, it is that, hard. you need to report them. 100%. They shouldn't be practicing. Right. That's not appropriate. Um, yeah. So, and I think another thing, even kind of like going back to what Jessica and I said about the last question is like, bring this into session. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I find like your therapist and you are trying to walk in the front door of the trauma and you're getting all this resistance and you're like, I can't, I can't defenses are up. Mm -hmm. Like metal walls are coming down. Alarms are going off. But what if instead we try to sneak in a back window in the basement underneath and we get in that way. Mm -hmm. And that could be this, it could be having a conversation about what's coming up for you and this fear about, about showing and sharing what's, what's happened and what you think might, might happen. And maybe we have past experiences that prove that this could be the way to go, way it goes. And this is the way people re would react. And I think that's an important key within our treatment and our healing as well. And so, you know, if, if we don't feel safe enough to talk about the thing, that happened were the thing that we're so shame filled about. Let's talk about the fact that we feel so yeah. ashamed, you know, and the worries that come along with that. And hopefully, and I'm pretty sure like 99.9% .9 sure you're going to get some compassion mm -hmm. and understanding for that. And hopefully we can find ways to soothe so that we can keep pushing forward and slowly, you know, dig into the stuff that we're like, absolutely yeah. not. Now I didn't look at these questions correctly. So there's one actually okay. one more left of a add on. Okay. And this says, I relate to this and I understand the struggle because it's so hard. I feel like I'm constantly putting band-aids on bullet wounds. Mm. I love that analogy by discussing present day triggers, flashbacks, emotional flashbacks, because they're debilitating, but I know they won't get better if I don't address the bullet in my body that's still causing the damage. How do I make the switch to feel safe as well as the logistical component of not being able to increase my sessions. Okay. I know there is always a struggle yeah. with that while addressing both the original damage as well as the continuous bleeding. I hope this makes sense. Totally makes sense. I, that analogy is beautiful <sighs> and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so pointed. I mean, it's, and that's really what a lot of people are trying to do. It, Honestly, when we talk yeah. about a person having a significant trauma and they're drinking or they're engaging in unhealthy relationships or whatever, that's generally the band-aid. That's the... Yeah, those are the coping skills, yeah. right? We're trying no, to like... I don't want to deal with this. I just... Maybe if I just don't see yeah. it. Um, yeah. And, and I think that is a serious logistical issue for a lot of people is, you know, that's the one thing that I thank COVID for is there's so many more resources for mental health. Yes. You know, for people in remote areas, other countries, or 
they can't get access to their in-person therapy. I mean, utilizing the um, group that you were speaking about, the free online groups, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, you're not going to work on the the bullet in those settings. You're going to work yeah. on the bullet with your therapist, one-on-one, mm-hmm. in-person. Um, and then sometimes you have to decide is this a high enough level of care for me? If you yeah. are still struggling and you don't have the ability to, you know, get your needs met, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, sometimes is all you can get with a therapist. I know. And you can't treat a bullet that way. It doesn't work that way. No, you can. I feel like you can just like kind of clean up. The yeah. mess. You can put that bit. bandaid on it. It's like you get kind of, yeah, and hopefully this person, because I don't think they said, but I hope you're going at least once a week. And I think something might, if you have the chance to do this, obviously, please tell your therapist you feel this way. Yes. Like all I'm doing is just managing triggers and flashbacks, and I don't feel like I'm getting to the root. Yeah. And let them know of this, because something that I've done with my patients that I find to be pretty successful, not 100%, because everybody's different, but spending a session or two working on like a coping plan slash safety mm-hmm. plan so that we're putting something in place for those everyday flashbacks, triggers, things that can come up. Yep. We have that. You can go back to that. We don't have to spend more time belaboring it and going through it again. You can pull up that paper or the photo on your phone or the doc and you can look at it and you have that. And then I've used to set timers with one of my patients because otherwise we would talk about the day-to-day all mm. session. I would set a 10-minute timer and we would do this update and then I'd be like, okay, enough update. And now we, we get to the bullet yeah. wound and it takes time. It's not like, oh, this is a quick yeah. fix either, but s- something about structuring the time can ensure that it's spent in a way that is most beneficial mm-hmm. for you. And there's nothing wrong with bringing this up to your therapist and saying, Hey, I heard from these two ladies on the internet that we can maybe yeah. do this. <laughs> you know, th- therapists don't most I'd say good therapists don't have egos about our work. And if someone comes to me and is like, hey, my friend said this helped. I'm like, let's try it. Okay. You think it could, let's give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. If it works for you, it works for you. And that's great. So I think that is definitely, it's a, it's a constant struggle for a lot of people. You're not alone, Um, but it does get better. And I did not realize there was even one more add on. I am not. Look at that. Look at this. This is the last one though. I double check, triple check. This is the last one. It says add on. I'm not sure if this applies, so I'm sorry if it doesn't. I found myself going off on a tangent. Mm. But what if you think you're healing and then you have an intrusive thought, a memory, a flashback, et cetera, and it brings back every negative emotion that you've ever felt about yourself? Mm. Like just the other day, I realized the second time I ever had sex when I was 15, the guy wanted to do anal sex. And I said no. And he said fine. But then when we were having sex, he did that to her. And I just froze. I thought it was accidental because he took it out soon after but it wasn't done slowly or deliberately. And I'm just now realizing this, like these things are just popping up. I just keep remembering these crappy things and I feel so sick that they happened. My reaction, my role in what took place. And I just want to bury it. I'm so ashamed of every assault, every message. Every time I let a man convince me to send a photo of myself when he and I both knew that I didn't want to. Every time that my mom, uh, my mom's past emotional abuse affects me. Every time I look at myself because of my eating disorder, all my scars from self-harm, and especially about my dangerous hookups that turned into sex work. I just feel like it won't ever go away. Like it's all going to haunt me for the rest of my life. And that these things are going to keep happening. 
or I'll just keep being re-traumatized. I thought this was great because I know so many people feel like this, like it's just one thing after the other. And we feel like we have a sign on our back that's like, traumatize me, please. And we're like, when is it ever going to stop? And I think I want to read back at the beginning because there was so much in this. So what if you think you're healing? Okay. So we're in the process of healing. And then we have all these like flashbacks that keep coming up. I don't know if you agree, Jessica, but my mind automatically went to that's actually good because what happens when we're going through it, it's like that closet Mm -hmm. that we were talking about or, you know, that mess, it's all spilled out. And it's like maybe, I don't know, a ball rolled out of that closet we didn't see. We tripped over it later because we didn't realize it was there. That's what I feel like is happening with these things. What do you think? And I think... It's kind of like when we were asked about, you know, is the disgust ever going to go away? You know, is this, Mm -hmm. is there going to be a day where I don't have a flashback, you know, ever again? Is there a day when I'm going to wake up and I'm going to love myself and that's it. That's going to be my mood and my belief for the rest of my life. We're humans. We cannot control anything but ourselves. And so we're going to go out into the world and we're going to see people that remind us of stuff. We're going to be in situations that, you know, kind of trigger you. It's not a failure. It's not, I was doing great, but now this it's, yeah. If anything, it is beautiful in the fact that you can name it. You can say what it is, you know, the skills that you can use for that specific situation. So yeah, you're going to have flashbacks. I'm sorry. And yes, sometimes you're going to be in an environment and not understand why you're having the response you're having because that's just happening in the moment. I, it, it is going to happen. The difference is, is you're not the person that says, okay, well, this is me. And I'm going to let it happen and I'm going to put myself down and I'm going to run down the shame rabbit hole, you know, to jump on and watch Katie or, you know, reach out to your therapist or reach out to a friend, do something kind for yourself. You are still healing. You're still on the right path, but don't have unrealistic expectations of yourself. Something that is that embedded into why you respond to the world the way you do, it's going to be there. And that's part Mm -hmm. of the beautiful you. Even the ugly parts that made the beautiful you, still part. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's kind of that like it gets worse before it gets better kind of Mm -hmm. notion and things are going to come up. And and again, having that like what we've been talking about kind of throughout is just like having – the relationship with your therapist, you can bring these things up as they mm-hmm. reveal themselves. Having some kind of coping skill, safety plan. You guys know I love a treatment plan. I love a coping skill list. Yeah. I love all that stuff. Have that stuff on hand so that when these things come up, that we have something we can do versus, to Jessica's point, go down that like shame spiral mm-hmm. thought of like, I'm horrible. Nobody's ever going to love me. This is terrible. I'm so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm so whatever that no one's ever going to want to be around me. Let's stop that and let's do something that's a little bit more constructive for yeah. ourselves and our overall well-being. Um, and just give yourself some compassion as you work through this. It's a lot and it takes time and there's no rush and you're going at just the right speed. So, you know, give yourself a little love there. Okay. I want to move quickly because I want to respect your time. I know that we... Sorry. Know, Once I get going... More questions, so. 
I get excited. I am no better. They know this too. Sometimes I'll be answering a question. I'm like, sorry, I got off on a tangent there. I'll just just, like run with it because there's so much to talk about. (laughs) Totally. Okay. So question number three says, can you discuss the taboo side effects of abuse victims? Because it's never discussed um, at all and only discusses the favorable therapy for victims, but never the abusers. Mm. Okay. So like the taboo topic of abusers, and they could be abuse victims themselves, right? Half of the time we see abused victims get better while others become abusers Mm -hmm. themselves. What if a trauma specialist learns that the client is abusing protected classes or murdering people because of the abuse that they went through? How do you help abusers get therapy when they have to be reported or else do you legally advise them not to tell you everything and just censor what they say? You know, I quote unquote, I abuse people. I'm not going to say who they are for the client's protection. It's a great question. So I, it would not be the first time that I was presented with uh-huh. that. Um, once again, they're same again. We've- yeah. No judgment. When you're in therapy, mm-hmm. there's no judgment. Now there is mandated reporting. Um, and that is yep. part of treatment. It's not that you're telling on your client. It's not that you're judging them. It is helping them understand that there is action and there's consequence but it doesn't mean you have to stop treating them. I have followed clients while they were, you know, in treatment or not in treatment, but incarcerated. You can still support the families. You can do a lot of work, Um, but it's not a sense of judgment. It's these, this is the world we live in. This is our agreed upon rules. Um, And now I just need, for you to be willing to work with me on why. Why is it that you could have gone this route, you could have gone this route, you chose the one in front of you. So one, what part of that is a reaction to your trauma? What part of that is a reaction to something else? Many times people Mm -hmm. automatically assume that if a person is a victim as a child and then they become someone who victimizes another that those two things are that that's the only two things that are correlated and that's exactly why it happened and that's just simply not true um but we're leaving out their entire life all the other decisions and things that happened choices that are made the supporter lack thereof there's so many factors it is not oh this happened to me and now i'm this that's not how it works. Um, and I, I think oftentimes it's very, it's very disrespectful to make that correlation because that also feeds into the shame and the fear of coming forward. If you were a victim, because then yeah. they're like, Oh, are they going to think that I do this? Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. But and, and yeah, I think that is an important distinction to be made that like it, it could be because of that. But again, everybody's experience in life is different. Everyone's choices are different. Yeah. Everyone's going to react differently. Um, and there's a place for all in treatment. There's no judgment around, oh, but I've harmed others. I, I did a video recently about child on child, on child sexual mm-hmm. abuse or COXA, as people say it to make it yeah. easier to say, um, because it is so unfortunately so common. Yeah. And how do we manage that if, if we were abused and we acted out because of that or we don't really know why we you know there there's a lot of different reasons there's a lot of different things that could sure. happen to us and i i truly 
believe that we should speak up, reach out and tell someone what's happening. Especially, I feel like the, the reasons those mandates are in place, and the reason that we have to report someone is to protect yeah. someone else. So if you worry that you might do it again, it might be safer for you to be mm-hmm. in a hospital setting where you, you know, you can't just leave, you have to yeah. get treatment. Like, the, you know, we all have our things that we have to work through and maybe it's best if it's done in a yeah. safe environment. So, yeah, but great questions and everybody deserves yes, help, okay? everybody. Okay, question number four. Yes, agreed. Okay, says, hey, Katie, how can I break the shame spiral that I'm in? We've been talking about that shame spiral. I endured both verbal and emotional abuse as well as sexual assault from someone very close to me. But many times, instead of being angry at them, I'm angry at myself. I should have left Mm -hmm. sooner. I should. Oh, you're shooting all over yourself. I should have cut off contact. I should have done something different. I try to argue back with these thoughts, but it's not working. It's like I truly believe that it's my fault. Even logically, I know that it isn't. How do I end this cycle of continually blaming myself and feeling so ashamed of myself? Mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. Totally makes sense. It's very yeah. common. So yeah. I, once again, I hate to, because a lot of these questions are very similar. I think we need to. They're very similar. We need to go back. Um, I spoke about schema earlier. We need to go back and better understand the way you see the world. You know, is do yeah. you live in an environment, in a family, um, in a social circle that believes that you've done something wrong, that you are, you know, in somehow responsible? I mean, even different areas of the country, you're going to have, you know, some communities feel that, you know, if you dress a certain kind of way, you deserve what happens to you. Yeah, you, you asked, asked for it. Right. Um, and then there's certain Ugh, areas of yeah. the country and communities and families that say, well, if you're being abused um, and, and you stay with the relationship, then you're choosing to be abused. Neither one of those are true. Just, just in case anyone wants my Mm-hmm. personal and professional <laughs> mm-hmm. opinion neither one of those things are true Thank i second you. that <laughs> we're going to have a vote um yeah yeah but it really does come down to what you're being told you know and then how that has embedded into your perspective of the world if you're continuously finding yourself in a shame spiral most likely there has been some influence with you that says that is your responsibility to make sure that it doesn't happen. And if it does happen, that means you didn't do the things you needed to do to stop it. This is yeah. one of the most difficult things. And, and Katie, I'm sure you are right here with me. It's so hard as a therapist to get people to see you could not have known what was oh, yeah. going to happen in five minutes. No one goes into no. a relationship saying, just so you know, I'm going to love bomb you for about three months. Uh-huh. <laughs> then I'm going to gaslight you. Yep. And, and that, depending on my mood at the time, I'm going to decide to start abusing you. They don't lay it out for you. Like, yeah, right. That's, if, that's not a thing. No. So. And love bombing so blinding. Oh, it is. And so what happens though is you have been trained, you've been taught, you've been informed that you should have seen the red flags. You should have stopped it before it got to that point. I'm going to tell you 
that people that engage in that kind of behavior are very good at what they do. Mm -hmm. Super. And they love wonderful people. They can identify when you experience, you know, multiple episodes of people engaging in this behavior with you. What I will tell you is they identify, they see those parts of you that they can extort, you know, in a normal relationship, being compassionate, mm -hmm, being compassionate, empathy, you know, providing people chances, um, you know, meet all of these things are incredibly important in a healthy relationship. They're also very desirable to someone who wants to use them. And so that is not your fault. That is a skilled manipulator that has decided that you reflect something that they wish they were. So they're going to devour it. Yeah. Sorry. That's, and that's, that's all on them. No, it's, it's important to say because like narcissistic abuse is very Mm -hmm. common and people feel bad. They didn't see it coming or how come I continue to end up in these relationships? And I'm like, cause you're loving, compassionate, forgiving. You're all the things that we all want to be, but they see that as things to be devoured or to things to exploit versus characteristics to enjoy and love on and share. And we can't, we can't control other people. One thing I would encourage this person to do, and you guys know how much I love a bridge statement. So let's get into those a little bit is when we find ourselves engaging in a a thought, like a shame spiral and we recognize it, right? Oftentimes about five minutes in, we're like, shit, why am I doing this? This is happening again. And we might not be able to stop it. That's okay. I want you to consider take when maybe when that moment passes and we feel like we have a little bit more, a better footing. I want you to take one of those thoughts, one of those things that always Mm. starts it, that one that we know so well. And I want you to consider a different way. Like, let's say the thought is no one's ever going to love me. Could we, instead of going with that and being like, yes, that's a fact. And also I'm such a dirty piece of shit. No one's going to want me. This is terrible. All my relationships will fail. I'm going to be alone forever. Instead of letting that happen, go back. Okay. No one's ever going to love me. What if we use a bridge statement instead and we say, you know what? Maybe, maybe sometime in the distant, far off future, I'm open to the thought that I could find someone who possibly could love me. Could we open ourselves up for that? And I know people, you know, bridge statements aren't positive. I'm not, we're not jumping over into toxic positivity island. I just want to build a bridge into healthier, happier you. And so that first little chunk of the bridge we're going to put down isn't going to feel very positive, but it's also not going to feel super negative. And so I just challenge you to either during, if you feel like you can, but most likely afterward, Mm -hmm. come up with one or two of those shame thoughts that get you started, right? It's Mm -hmm. that momentum. What's one of those? And can we come up with a thing? Maybe if you just say, you know, Jessica, I believe Jessica and Katie, they said, you know, it can get better. So maybe, maybe I'll think about believing them. Maybe. Maybe. And let's just, we'll build on that and start building that bridge so that we don't get caught up. Okay. Final question. Yeah. It's because we all, we all have it. We all have our own spirals, you know, especially nighttime. Nighttime Mm. is the worst time. No more distractions Uh stuck with your thoughts, you know? Okay. So final question. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. These have been super, super helpful answers. Of course. So this question says, um, Hey, Katie and Jessica, a few years ago, I hit rock bottom with my depression Mm. and worse than I've ever felt before. 
I was constantly suicidal and it was terrifying to me. I had absolutely no support and was um, alone in bringing myself out of there. I spoke about this with my therapist years later, and she thinks I may have su sustained a trauma mm -hmm. from this. Mm -hmm. Could I have traumatized myself with my own mm -hmm. thoughts? I feel very ashamed of this because it feels self-inflicted. And how can I become traumatized by my own mind? I'm not sure how to work through this. Do you have any advice? Thank you for everything. You tru you're truly amazing. This is it a great really question. Is. And the short answer is, is yes, you can. And it's far more common than you think. I mean, think about... Yes, because, I mean, I've had patients attempt suicide or uh, actually have had other situations that they've, you know, tried to harm themselves. Maybe I had a patient once who, like, attempted suicide and then took herself to the hospital. She was like, I didn't want to overdose. I changed my mind, you know, um, or call 911. And if we think about trauma as when we fear for our own safety or the safety of someone, mm -hmm. that, you know, we care about, we, we know ourselves safety did are we in a dangerous situation right. yes self-inflicted or not no right. it doesn't it doesn't so this comes back to what we were talking about of struggling with self-compassion you are beating yourself up because you had a trauma based on your depression depression is not a choice Trauma is not a choice. We do not wake up and say, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to be depressed today. I think I might have a panic attack. Yeah, sounds like three. fun. I should, you know, and I'll squeeze it in. Um, we don't do those things. That's not how it works. But yet we blame ourselves. Well, how could I do this to myself? Well, I don't know. How could I eat an entire chocolate cake? At the time, that's what was going on. You know, we do things yep. out of our knowledge and our opportunity in that moment. So one thing that I've told clients is if you, it's, it's much like driving down a new set of roads. If you don't know what's at the end of each, but you have to get somewhere, you're just going to guess. And maybe you guess right. Yeah. And that's wonderful. It's the shortcut. But maybe you guess wrong. And now you know it's construction and it's messy and it's and people yelling in the background and and the road is bumpy and but you know that now. You cannot blame yourself for an action or a situation based on the decision where you didn't know the outcome. You did not have the experience. Yeah, I love that analogy. Yeah. But now you know. Now you have the knowledge. Now mm -hmm. you have the ability to say, okay, when I experience depression, which may or may not come back, depending on where you are in your life, I know not to isolate. I know it's important for me to do X, Y, and Z. I know I need to see my therapist. You have knowledge now that you did not have then. And instead of traumatizing yourself and abusing yourself over not having knowledge that no one expects you to have, it's not your job to know that. Um, now you can stop blaming. You can say, okay, I've come so far. I've seen a therapist. I'm learning about myself. I, I'm accepting the fact that out of no fault of my own, I can traumatize myself. And because mm -hmm. of that, because I know those things, 
I can now be kind to me. And that takes time. It all does. I wish we could snap our fingers and things be perfect. I know. (laughs) And there are things that can Mm -hmm. help. Like I said, I'm a big fan of EMDR. I'm a big fan of TMS for people that are, you know, medication resistant. There's a lot of stuff out there. Be kind, be patient and allow the process to happen at your speed, not the speed you think it should. Yes. Agreed. And yeah. And I wish it wasn't so I wish, you know, this wasn't something that would happen, but it is very common. And I think offering yourself some of that compassion and validation. Yes, this happened. Yes, it's painful. Just because, you know, it was self-inflicted doesn't negate how I feel about it, right? One doesn't not equal the other. Like, oh, if I did it to myself, that doesn't, I can't feel this kind of way about it. That's not the, you know, so just acknowledging it, challenging those thoughts when they come up and try Mm -hmm. to tell you it's not, you're not worthy. It's not bad enough. You did it to yourself. All that judgment, you know, bring it up in therapy, talk to your therapist about it. And just like any other trauma, we're going to work our way through it. We're going to process how we got to that place, Mm -hmm. what happened, um, you know, what we, how we feel about it now. And we can heal from it, but it has to start from a place of like a little bit of love and understanding and a little bit of self-compassion. And I know it's so hard and so uncomfortable, um, but that's why you have your therapist and you have some support so they can, you know, help guide you towards that. Thank you so much for your time, Jessica. I really, I, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate what you do. And thank you again to All Points North Lodge for sponsoring this podcast and for bringing Jessica to us and get offering up your time to answer all of our questions. There were so many questions, by the way, it was hard for me to keep them to five. So yeah, there's, there's so much to talk about, you know, what you do is really important work. So thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, everyone. Your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know.